So we have finally come this morning to the end of Ephesians. Some of you may be surprised that it has taken this long. Maybe you haven't been with us for, for too long, and you've only been visiting for a short while, and you're saying, why has the pastor been in this book so very long? Well, what we do here is we go verse by verse and book by book. Um, it helps me, and I believe it also helps us as a church to do this. This is kind of a reason as to why we have gone through this book as we have, because we get a better understanding of what God's Word actually says. So now we come and we're going to conclude this whole book this, this morning. But as we do this, what you may notice is that even as we read this passage, if you have maybe a good memory, if you remember uh, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul starts off this epistle, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins with grace and peace, and then he concludes with grace, peace, and love. And you may have also noticed in the uh, bulletin, as the sermon titles have been listed, that the title of this whole series has been Grace and Peace. So that has been the, the resounding theme for this book, Grace and Peace. And as Paul started, he went through uh, the truths, the doctrines, so to speak, that, that we're to hold fast to in the first three chapters. And then as he kind of descends into some application and practical things, he, he starts talking about the imperatives. What are we supposed to do with these truths? Of course, I'm sure you've heard this before because I've said this before. And so what I hope for us to do today is to figure out what do we do then with this whole book? How do we actually live this out? And as I was thinking about this, uh, this passage, some of the hardest parts I found of, of sermon preparation has always been finding really good illustrations. Those are usually the last things to find their way onto my notes. And sometimes they don't until I walk up here, if I'm being honest, y'all. But life is very, uh, it, it, there's, there's illustrations all over the place. But anyway, nevertheless, as I was thinking about this, I got to thinking about Monopoly. Does anyone like to actually play Monopoly? Oh, wow, no one. Okay, there's some There's some people. Okay. I'm not as big of a fan as some of you might be. I've never actually finished a game. And I hear it takes a long time. That's usually why I go ahead and get up and leave. Nevertheless, if we consider Monopoly, it's an interesting game. It has some in interesting objectives. Um. And even if you're not fond of playing it, you've likely heard the phrase or something talked about in regards to Monopoly money, if only it was real and things such as that. Well, we recognize this game Monopoly, it's not real. You're dealing with real subjects, so to speak, interactions that might carry over into the real world, but it's not, it's not real. What we're actually doing when we're playing this board game is we're assigning a particular value to something that's non-existent. And then we get to interacting, and some of us get a little more competitive than others. Hint, hint. And we go on and try to have a good time. One of the problems that this kind of reveals, and this is why this game came to mind, is that we don't have to assign value to the riches of grace given to us by God. They are inherently what they are, and precious and valuable. But too often what we do is we neglect those riches of grace for our own riches 
and we attempt to assign value that's not there. I want to try to help us this morning avoid doing this. And part of doing this is actually digging into our hearts a little bit. As Paul starts off with the first half of this book, as we said, he starts off with truths and it can seem like there's a little, very little application of these things because they're just grand and glorious realities. And then in the second half, he gets quite specific. He starts talking about interactions in the church. He starts talking about interactions in marriage, home, the workplace. And all of a sudden, it comes down to earth. And what I want to ask you this morning is, what do you actually want in life as you sit here in this church in these pews? What is it that you want in life? Now, you may never think of this question. Some of you may not like to philosophize and think these high thoughts and stuff, which I would advise against that too often because you'll end up just sitting around doing nothing. But this morning, at least, I want you to consider this. What is it that you want? Because what you want will end up being what you're chasing. Do you want, perhaps, Monopoly money to be real? And y'all, wouldn't that be fantastic? You could send that in the mail. You wouldn't actually have to take anything out of your own bank account. All these things. You could just print it off like it's coming off the press. We might want this, but it's not going to happen, is it? Now, what what we're actually talking about is not those kind of on-the-surface desires, but our deepest longings that we may have. And likely... Likely one of our deepest longing, if not our deepest longing, is to actually have this incorruptible love that Paul speaks of, whether you know it or not. But see, what we do is we will go everywhere and anywhere to nearly any degree to find love, approval, and belonging, but all we get is the Monopoly version, isn't it? And we only go so far to even give that, don't we? But see, the problem with our heart is that we actually resist the deepest reach of the gospel story. We set up walls of pride, sin, and flesh. And we don't believe that this kind of love that the Bible speaks of is real. We just believe it's a game. But our hearts will whisper, well, I guess it can shape these other parts of my life, maybe a little, but I have to control my heart and my own riches. Maybe that's where you're sitting this morning. But you see, God did not send his son to die and rise to have just a little bit of your heart. If you want to sum up what the end of this series will be, it's going to be a bit of a come-to-Jesus message. There may be some of us sitting in this room who do not actually know Christ, though we think we do. Some of us in this room that have erected walls around us, facades of being close to Jesus, and all the while on the inside we're struggling and being erect because we cannot keep these things up very much longer. I pray this morning that those walls are absolutely destroyed by God's word and that they will not stand.
Because the love of God is the best thing you will ever experience in your life. And so we end up with what this book is actually about. That the gospel story absolutely and completely shapes every part of your life. And so we come again to the question, has it shaped your heart? So I've got four things for you this morning. And I know we've got food back there, so that that does not mean if I'm going to try to be at least a little bit kind, that does not mean I get to hold y'all as long as I can. Because y'all have some expectations. So I'm going to make a promise not to actually do that this morning. But I want you to hold on for these four points. Now we come to question number one, which has to do a little bit with the same thing. Have you taken account of your heart lately? Now most of you probably are smart wise individuals, you run businesses, you go to work, you do all these things on a regular basis, and you're great at what you do in many regards. Perhaps you've taken account of maybe your bank statement in the past month. Maybe taken account of where your money is in the past month. Maybe you've taken account of what you own in the past month. You have to take account of all these things on a regular basis in order to make sustainable and consistent profits, don't you? Otherwise, you don't know what's going in, what's coming out. But when's the last time you actually took account of your heart? Of where you stand before God and others? Another way to ask this would be, are you satisfied to actually live an unknown story yet loved by God? And so here's where we need to actually jump into the text. So look down at verse 21. Verses 21 and 22. And let's see who this gentleman, Tychicus, actually is. It says, Paul, concluding his message, maybe in your Bibles at at the top of this little passage, it says, final greetings. This is very consistent with how Paul would... Paul would open up his letters with a greeting, and then he would close with a benediction. And likely they almost always, if not always, they had to do with one another. And so he says in verse 21, So that you also know how I am how I am, and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Now, this guy, Tychicus, we don't exactly know who he was. He could have been the one that wrote down this letter as Paul dictated it to him, but we don't really know for sure. And here is what's so interesting, is that we do not really know much about this gentleman named Tychicus, other than what Paul lists here. That he was a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, and he was able to go from where Paul was to where the Ephesians were, in order to tell them more about how Paul was doing. And what you may notice is the tone here of Paul is very loving and gentle of sorts. He wants them to know how he is. And he is very hopeful that they will understand what it is that he's tried to communicate to them. But what we can glean from this guy named Tychicus is that we ought to be satisfied with living a relatively unknown life story, albeit still impacted by the gospel story. But isn't it true, almost guarantee it, and it speaks for myself as well, all of us in this room want to be known, don't we? 
in some way, fashion, or form. We either want our peers to know us very well, or maybe maybe there's some of us in here in this room that really actually do want to be famous. We have to take account of where we are. Because see, what, what Paul, what's fascinating about the connection that he's making and just simply making a short mention of this gentleman is that all of the application from this whole book has nothing to do with things that are super grand, super glorious, and that bring attention to ourselves. The application of the riches of this grace and the application of praying for strength and the application of being loved and the application of having peace and unity and all these things Paul ends up applying just simply in the church and marriage in the home, and in the workplace. Now, I don't know about y'all, but as I go about this next week, I highly doubt I'm all of a sudden going to become famous. And if I'm being honest, none of us in this room, that's probably not going to happen to any of us in this room, is it? Now, if that for some reason happened to one of y'all, I would be so happy for you and give you praise. But I'm just here to tell you it's probably not going to be the case. Now, what, what, what's going to happen this week? Every one of those things I just listed, you're going to end up having some kind of interaction with. Your church people, your spouse, your family, and work. Are you satisfied with the gospel reaching that? Because, see, that's usually... That's usually what we do not want the gospel to actually reach, isn't it? That's too close. It means we have to start walking according to the Bible. So have you taken account of your heart, and are you satisfied to live in this unknown story? But see, when I say unknown story, I mean unknown in regards to the world not knowing you, but you're very, very well known by God. But these next three points have to do with taking account of our hearts. Well, we've also got some commands listed along with them. But let's look at verse 21 and 22 again. So that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. 22, I sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. All God may call you to in your life is to be an encourager of other people. And you have no idea how much of an impact that may have. Be satisfied with that, because that is a glorious calling that each one of us are called to. All Tychicus ended up being here was a, a holy mailman. Ready to encourage the people that Paul has set before him. And so he goes on to verse 23, verses 23 and 24. He says as he closes this, this letter, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus uh, with love incorruptible. And so he lists here peace, love, and grace. 
these three pillars in this letter. And honestly, the three pillars, these three pillars are, are foundational in our Christian lives. Peace, love, and grace. But aren't they hard to define? And usually if we, if we went out on the street or went out in a regular, regular day and we just started talking about peace, love, and grace, people would probably look at us a little weird, wouldn't they? Say, why, why, is this, why is this guy talking this way? He's talking like he's back from 1800, talking about these things. So as we read this, I don't want you to think, well, I guess I have to adopt this kind of language in my life in order to actually be a Christian. No, that's not it at all. No, it's much deeper than that. Has the peace of the gospel, the love of the gospel, and the grace of the gospel actually reached your heart where you sit this morning in your pews? And so we'll start at least with peace. As Paul concludes this, and this whole summary of the letter is for us to actually live in gospel peace. Now, when I say the word peace, what may jump in our heads um, is kind of the 60s and 70s, uh, that, that kind of peaceful, easygoing movement. Maybe you have, in your mind you have this image of, of a headband with the peace symbol on it, and people throwing up their fingers like this saying peace. That's all fine and well. That's not the peace that the Bible's talking about here. Maybe you're thinking when you hear the word peace, how wonderful world peace would be if everybody just got along. Right? See, it's, it's more specific than that, though. And we have to go back in this book in order to actually see what it is that he's talking about. If you'll go back to chapter 2, or chapter 1, excuse me, verse 11. You need to ask the question, what kind of peace then is he actually talking about? He wants peace for these Ephesians. Well, he's told them what kind of peace it is, what kind of peace it is that the gospel brings. Verse 11, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh by hands. He starts throwing a lot of words out at us. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. I wondered this past week if you have encountered a situation in your life in which there was no peace with someone else. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I guarantee you every single one of us likely have encountered that this week. Peace is hard to come by, isn't it? We generally speaking, our hearts will stay in that area right there, verse 12. Most folks do. Separated, if not be from Christ from others as well. Because you see, there's no doubt that you've lived, we need to define what the opposite of this piece is, in discord and disunity. Haven't you? Haven't we all? Maybe there's that particular person at the workplace that you just cannot get along with. Maybe this morning... In all reality, it's, it's, it's a spouse and yourself that you're struggling with. A marriage that has no peace in it. Maybe there's no peace in your home and you can't seem to figure out how to get it there. And see, what do we do with this problem? How, how do we actually live out this gospel peace? And Paul has demonstrated to us where it actually comes from. 
Verse 8 of chapter 3, To me, though I was the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all, all things. What is this mystery here? This mystery that he speaks of is that somehow the Jew and the Gentile would be reconciled. And if you think you are not are at odds with someone in your life, you have no idea just how much the Jew and the Gentile hated one another. There was a discord and disunity that went on for ages. And somehow the only thing that would actually remedy this was the gospel of Jesus Christ, which transfers over into our lives. The only thing that will bring, bring peace to your life is the gospel of Jesus. Both in your workplace, in your home, and in your marriage, and in the church. And so do you know this piece this morning? We try to erect facades of peaceful living, don't we? And the world will tell you, you need to be at peace with yourself, don't you? And I'm here to tell you this morning, you don't need to be at peace with yourself first and foremost. You need to be at peace with God. And if once you're at peace with God, then you'll find that somehow you're, you're able to be at peace with others. And so he says, Ephesians, live in this gospel peace. I wish peace upon you. Peace be to the brothers. And then he next he mentions love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This next big subject. And so do you know this love that he speaks of, though? We've been talking about it for weeks upon weeks now. And this is, I love peace, but I love this love and grace even more. And peace has been poorly defined in our world, but I do strongly believe that love has been much more poorly defined. So what kind of love is he talking about? Look over in verse or verses five and on chapter one. See, church, we, we, we need to be very careful to define the things we speak of according to the Bible. We love to hear, I love you, though, don't we? There's not a person in this room that would not love to hear that from someone right now. Family, friends, spouse. So why is that? Why is that that our hearts long for this? If not that we have been made to be by God. And then when we are loved indeed by God, that love spills over into others. We need to define this love that he speaks of. What is this that he says? Verse 5 of chapter 1. In love, notice this, these, these prepositions here. In love, he 
predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. You know, far too often what ends up happening is we try to dance around the language of the Bible because it scares us. And I'm here to tell you this morning, there is no good reason for us to be scared of biblical language. If the Bible says it, it's there for a reason. Because too often what ends up happening, we read verse 5 without those first two words. In love. But let's get real with it for a moment. (laughs) Why are you here? So, Pastor, I'm here for church. So, if I'm being honest, I'm actually here for the Mexican food. I'm not going to tell you that. No, why are you here? Why would you get up on a Sunday morning to come and listen to this young kid preach the word and sit around with a bunch of other people when you could be in bed, enjoying the day, doing anything else? What holds you here? Do you believe it's you? What holds you in your life? If not this, that he loved you first, that he chose you and decided not to let go. This is the sovereign electing love of God. So, Pastor, I just don't like those words. Well, they're in the Bible. Forget about what everyone else says on the outside of these walls and just look at the Bible for a minute and think about this. Why do you love God if not that he has loved you unimaginably so? He determined before you knew that you were that you would be loved. Now, I've never known anyone, Now, just imagine this, when we, when we rebel against this idea of this, this sovereign love, this is what it, we're actually doing. And I've never known anyone to do this. But imagine going up to the altar when you're going to get married. Your bride's looking beautiful. The groom's looking handsome. You have their family there. Everyone's happy and it's a wonderful time and you either the bride or the groom go up there and they get ready to say their vows and all these things and they speak of love but they stop and they say i know you love me but what about that person in the back sitting that just walked in do you do you love them how weird would that be If I were the other spouse of being saying, why are you concerned about them? We're getting married this morning. And what we do when we go, well, 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 I know you love me, God, but what about them? That's what we're doing. And that makes absolutely no sense as to why, why would we not rejoice that God loves us because he loves us. And if you keep going back and keep going back, that he loves us because he loves us because he loves us because he loves us. And it works in life. It's so the Bible is so 
when you read it in faith, it ends up being so simple in so many different ways. Those that are married, again, were you proud to choose your spouse? Are you proud today? I pray you are. If you're not, I would not say it right now. Say, well, yes, JP, I am. She's my better half. He's my better half. This, that. Are you not proud then to be chosen by God? How glorious is that to be loved that way? There's nothing better than that. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. This is the love that he speaks of. And so when you read these, these big words, these difficult words, these, these things in the Bible, I prayed and asked, do not run from them. Figure out, okay, what is he talking about then? And don't let other people tell you what they mean either. Let the Bible tell you what they mean. So much confusion about the Bible comes from terrible, terrible application. But it is so simple. Have you been loved this way? Do you know this love? If you don't, it's right there. Christ loves you. And he reaches the deepest longing of your heart way more than you ever imagined he likely could. So this is also what's so wonderful. If you look, look down at verse 24, or rather 23 and 20, well, both of these verses. He says, in love with faith. And this isn't your faith necessarily. I don't believe we ought to read it this way. This is the faith, the faith that we hold fast to, the faith that we believe, the faith that we trust, our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Not necessarily personal but this thing that we're doing this morning, love with this, these truths that Paul has spoken of. And then notice in verse 24, he speaks of grace, which we'll get to in a moment. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. I love that phrase. Because you will not find that phrase anywhere else in the world, will you? There's always something... It, the world would say, love yourself, love this way, love that way, and define love that on and on and on and on. But you will always find that it is corrupted by something. Now this word incorruptible down here literally means immortal, never ending. Now I want you to imagine, if you had money in a safe in a bank, Thousands of years went by, and air can get to it. Eventually, what's going to happen? It's going to deteriorate, isn't it? You give enough time to whatever that is, it's going to deteriorate. It's corruptible. Now, connect this back to what Paul's been talking about, the riches of grace and the riches of his love. Imagine a block of gold sitting there instead. There's not much that's going to corrupt that, is it? Not when the dross has already been taken out. 
This is the kind of incorruptible riches. It simply will not change that God loves you. But what he actually does here, what he actually does, and see, it can be a little bit tricky. Does this incorruptible? Because the word love there doesn't actually come before incorruptible in the Greek. So is this, is this incorruptible? Is it talking about the grace or is it talking about loving here? Well, it's, it's, it's talking about the verb. So grace be with all who love our Lord. This love here is the verb here. So it says, with love incorruptible. What he's saying is, is that we as Christians ought to love with this incorruptible love. And we say, how do we do this? Go back to what we were talking about. Because in love, he chose you. Because he set aside riches in heaven that can't be changed. And it's ours, church. If too often what we do is we, we, we simply neglect this bank of riches of grace and love and try to come up with our own here and assign value. Let's get back to the monopoly image here. We assign value to this board game of life. And we come to the end and we find out that it was all a bunch of nothing and it wasn't real. When all the while, what we truly have is what's been given to us by God. Let me ask you this morning, what do you want? A monopoly way of living and a monopoly love or the riches of grace in Christ Jesus. You may very well be on the fence today about which direction you're going. You cannot hide from his love either. And there is no in-between either being in his love or in his judgment. You're in one or the other. But understand, if you're in his love, his judgment will never come upon you. His grace is lavished upon you. And this is the last thing we need to discuss. This gospel grace ends up being a person of Jesus Christ. Or in Ephesians chapter 2, we spend a lot of time on the love part. We'll spend less time on, on this one. Ephesians chapter 2, we likely probably know it well. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. See, it's everywhere, isn't it? Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. What is it that saves you? Did, did you save you? Did your smarts, your wits, maybe some good looks, maybe some more have others than I do? No, none of that saved you, did it? It's grace and grace alone, and praise God for it. And that grace ends up being found particularly in the person that is Jesus Christ. He is the grace. He is the one that stood in your stead on a cross where you deserve to hang. He is the one that not only hung where we should have been, but went to the tomb with, that we should have gone to. And all this that Jesus did, it's been lavishly given to us. That now, by His grace supplied, we have justification before God. And that means this. Because of what He did, you can walk in God's love and enjoy it the rest of your life. But we get to enjoy none of this 
if we do not actually have faith in Christ Jesus. And you see, often what we do is, and this is why we, this is such a heart issue, we take our hearts and we say, you know what? I want to be loved. I want this grace. I want peace. So I'm going to open up just a little bit of it to, to God. I'm going to get just a little bit of this, this gospel stuff, this Bible stuff to God. And then that's going to be enough and I'll feel okay. You understand this, if you only open up a little bit of it to God, the rest of it's going to be taken up by something. And you best not think that you're strong enough, wise enough, smart enough to keep the world of flesh and the devil at bay from it taking up the rest of your heart. He doesn't want a part of it. He wants all of it. And when he has all of it, you get to live like Tychicus. Let's close with the description of him again. The beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord will tell you everything. Beloved brother and faithful. Will that be said of you? When the day finally comes, you no longer walk on this earth. Will it be said of you? He is faithful and he's beloved because he's been found in Christ. So this day, commit yourself to the Lord. If you've been putting it off, put it off no longer. Why would you? What is holding back? Give up the rest of your heart that he might have all of it. Trust him with it. And for us that know Christ and have been walking for a minute or two with him, ask that your heart would be shaped more by the gospel that we find in these pages. And also a bit of a directive given to us to live. We ought to live out the gospel story with love incorruptible. So I pray that we may do that as we leave from here. Let's pray.